0: Everybody, Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. I'm your host, David Whitehead, and I am so happy about today's show. This is going to be absolutely epic. I've got three legends in the house, patriots, freedom fighters, uh, gentlemen who uh, have given so much for this country, all the work that they have done, um, and everything that they've done with this incredible movement in Canada to restore freedom and sanity to this great country again. They were very much involved with the great Canadian trucker convoy that went off and inspired this country, inspired me, and ended up inspiring the entire world. They're sporting Canadian flags in the Netherlands. They're sporting Canadian flags in Brazil. Uh, They're sporting them in the U.S. We've really lit a fire, and I'm so happy to have them here. We've got the great Tom Quiggin with us. We've got Jack Spinney, and we've got Saxon Murray And gentlemen, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all you've done and all you're doing. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, Let's start with Tom. If each one of you guys could just give us the quick little background elevator pitch introduction for those who aren't aware of you. Uh, Tom, over to you, sir.
1: Uh, Tom Quiggin, ex-military. I spent a few years cruising around the North Atlantic and the Caribbean doing anti-submarine warfare and open ocean search and rescue. I then spent 10 years as an intelligence officer in all the exciting places like Bosnia, Croatia, Albania, Serbia, Belarus, uh, Ukraine, Russia, those kinds of, you know, exciting travel places. Uh, I worked for the Privy Council office doing intelligence assessments for cabinet and prime minister. Uh, Worked for the RCMP for six years doing national security investigation uh, work as an intelligence contractor, Uh, wrote a few books on national security stuff. My role with the convoy became sort of the de facto intelligence officer, and my primary role was protective intelligence, i.e. intelligence based on the idea of protecting the convoy protecting the first responders who worked around the convoy and then the citizenry of Ottawa itself. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those accidental things. I never, never planned on being an intelligence officer for a convoy, but there I was.
0: Well, fantastic. Your resume is just like a mile long. You've done so much. Uh, We're going to talk a bit also about the book that came out in June about the convoy. Uh, but Saxon over to you, sir. Yeah. Uh,
2: Saxon Murray. So, uh, 12 year, uh, Combat engineer, veteran. I've um, uh, been out for a little bit. I have another job that I, I guess, I won't uh, put out there into the public. But I still work, and uh, to a degree. And uh, also was involved in the convoy in Ottawa. And um, my job basically was doing crowd surveillance uh, and close protection for some of the speakers that we had coming, as well as general like patrolling through. And seeing what's going on, if there was any incidences, kind of go look into it, investigate it a little bit, and then uh, report that up our chain of volunteers that we had doing security. And then uh, I also kind of liaison between other groups that were doing security as well that existed within the convoy whenever possible. Uh, So that was kind of my role during the convoy. So I'm going to be commenting on things like that.
0: Excellent, man. Thank you so much for being here. It's incredible. Uh, Jake, over to you, sir. I've seen so many of your videos. I'm so happy you're here. Go ahead.
3: It was a lot shorter than boys. Just did uh, a couple of years in the uh, Royal Canadian Dragoons. Uh, did lots of things after that. Currently, like I'm a homesteader now. Uh, ended, up a ended up with the convoy and kind of ended up as the de facto guard commander, I guess, as it were, after we took the fence down around the War Memorial. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I, you know, and I lived on Wellington Street for two and a half, three weeks, so. That's where you'll be hearing my opinion from.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, um, you got the name, or I can't remember which one of you guys got it, the Ghost of Wellington. Is that yeah, you, that's me. All yeah, right. Me. And it, it was kind of a funny timing because of all the stuff going on with Ukraine and the way the media was covering it with the Ghost of Kiev. And we have our own. The video game, mean?
3: The video game coverage?
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, um, we've got an inquiry going on right now. Um, It's been incredible to watch how many contradictions and lies that the media and the government narrative told Canadians have already been debunked by um, a lot of the testimony we've gotten, a lot of the evidence that's come through. I wish that more Canadians were actually watching this inquiry. And so I've been doing my best on this show to talk about it, to um, on my social media, post these little clips that are going around so people can just see An example of a banana republic uh, kind of situation here um, where we have our government that look what they have done to our charter to our country uh, and they still have the gall to walk around as if they didn't do anything wrong everything was cool Um, but we've got some decent lawyers you guys have a good team on the ground and a lot of good information is coming out so um, I know we've got a few clips and and things we want to get into but Tom where should we begin?
1: Well, I don't, <laughs> hard to say. There's a lot to unpack here. I mean, I guess the primary point we're looking at today, I guess, is to say that uh, Marco Mendocino, the public safety minister, who holds the file basically for everybody, RCMP, CSIS, Corrections Canada, all the enforcement agents, he's the boss, he's the top guy, he's, you know, the big dog. Uh We can go into a multiplicity of lies that have come out of this guy, but the most disturbing thing came out yesterday. He said he knew that at Coventry Road, where the convoy had its logistics base, that there were, you know, ex-police and ex-military specialists, and they had all this training, and they were there, and they were going to use their super advanced skills, and their plan was to use, you know, these special operations and ideas to overthrow government. He, of course, said this with no evidence. Uh, he didn't name any names. It would be fun to hear him say, well, that was, you know, Tom Quiggan was there or Saxon was there or something. But of course, none of us were actually there because we were downtown. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating to see this guy literally lie through his teeth about very serious issues on the public record well under oath. But and people say, oh, well, this is so shocking. And I'm kind of, well, I'm not shocked. Um, when... This convoy started. I realized, like before the convoy got here, that we were going to be the target of an information operation by the government of Canada. So I don't know if you remember. Before the convoy got here, there was this newspaper headline: Justin Trudeau was whisked out of town to a secret location for his protection. And it was like, whoa, there's this big, super scary threat coming, and it's so bad that we have to hide the prime minister. So, so what? You know, it, it was, was just it the bouncy nonsense. castles. But I realized,
0: scary? what's that? Oh. I just said, was it the bouncy castles? Maybe too many bouncy castles. Yeah,
1: bouncy castles. I don't know. Maybe he's allergic to hot tubs and the chlorine in a hot tub. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I mean that was a thing. But during the uh, during the entire process, uh, I've come to view, and it's my own personal opinion, that the most continuous and most prolific liar. In the government on this hasn't been necessarily Prime Minister Trudeau himself, but rather Marco Mendocino. He has lied yeah. consistently right from the start. He is informed of what actually happened. He's informed of the truth. And then he turns around and tells the exact same lie again under oath in parliament on the public record. So uh I- I'm just gonna my little part of this conversation, I think, before we turn it over to the guys who are kind of more frontline than I was. Uh is to say look i wrote this book called eyewitness to deceit it's about prime minister trudeau's info war on the convoy it came out in june long before the commission started and i was going to say look in the book i refer to six specific documented verifiable cases where mendicino lied to the public on record so in a parliamentary committee in april uh, he referred to the arson attack that occurred in ottawa And he's saying, you know, people live in apartment buildings, found their doors locked and fires were being set. And the convoy was burning down these buildings. Now, fortunately, another MP jumped in and said, whoa, Mr. Mendocino, hang on. We know that the Ottawa police investigated that, arrested two guys who had nothing to do with the convoy whatsoever, other than geographic proximity. That was it. And so anyway, I mean. Mendocino knows that. He is the chief law enforcement officer for the whole country, and he lies about it anyway. And then he turns around and lies about it again later anyway. So, you know, one example. Uh, The second one is, you know, Mendocino is up there, you know, police found loaded shotguns in the truck, and he actually says, um, it's a miracle. It's nothing short of miraculous that nobody was seriously injured. Now, of course, as we later know, there were zero guns found in Ottawa except for one, that was found in the person of an anti-convoy protester, zero guns in the trucks, zero violence, etc. Mendocino knows that he's got access to every law enforcement agency in the country, but he continues to use that lie. Uh he also talked about you know rape threats. Women in Ottawa were threatened with rape, they couldn't go out at night. This is terrible. Now I go into this in the book at some length, but that was a social media thing put forth by one person. Everybody repeated it. There was nothing to it. But yet, you know, Mendocino says on the public record, there were Ottowans who were subject to intimidation, harassment and threats of rape. Again, zero evidence, nothing to support that other than one social media post by somebody. And in the book, I sort of show, you know, the whole thing was a fake anyway. Uh, it is interesting to note that uh, MP Rachel Doncho actually asked, she said, well, Mr. Mendocino, if this thing is so serious and there was guns and rape and all of this stuff, why were members of cabinet, judges, MPs and the citizens allowed to just walk up and down the street with no extra protection. And you might remember Rupa, the reporter who was from the National Post but is now yeah. over at True North. And she goes, look, I'm, I'm a woman of color. I'm, I'm a brown person. I wandered around through the whole convoy and, and didn't run into a single problem. So again, Mendicino knows the whole rape story is a lie, but he does it anyway. Uh, Mendicino also just brought up again yesterday the whole issue of it was a national crisis. We had to have the Emergency Act because... The borders were closed. We were losing billions of dollars worth of trade. And of course, when they imposed the Emergency Act, the borders were already opened. The blockades were gone. So that's just a false statement. The other thing is, StatsCan and everybody else came out and said, yeah, no, there wasn't really any disruption in trade. In fact, trade in February actually went up a bit. Uh, So all that happened is the blockades caused an upset for one day. The truckers go to the next port of entry and away they go. So he's willfully lying again using international trade and border security as an issue when in fact it's already been publicly shown on the record multiple times that it's complete crap. Now, the last one was, and this is to me the most famous one, he is on the record at least six times, you know, this many, um, that the only reason they put the emergency act in was because the police requested it. And of course, throughout the summer, we've seen a stream of police officials going, not us. RCMP says, not them. OPP, nope, not them. Ottawa police, they didn't really have a chief while this was all happening, or they had three chiefs, depending on your point of view. But they have all said that uh, wasn't us. We didn't request it. The mayor of Gatineau says she talked to her police chief and nope, wasn't them. And of course, none of the other police chiefs could request it, Toronto, Windsor, Hamilton, whatever. So his saying that six times, on the public record, with the cameras running, is a direct, absolute lie. So, anyway, that's kind of my opening position on the whole thing. At Mendocino has lied repeatedly as part of a larger government policy of info war against the convoy. So, anything he says now, I'd reject it out of hand.
0: Yeah, guys, you don't just trust these liars when they're proven to lie. Uh, well summarized. I'll just play the Coventry clip. And then we'll jump right away to Saxon and then over to Jake, okay? So here's that one that I've got. Let's see what the this liar is saying on the stand.
3: Policies by the government. Um, but then there was another group uh, that had um, other more uh, extreme objectives that was much more sophisticated and organized. And it's my recollection that that latter group um, was interspersed in a, in a number of different locations very tactically, but that there was a concentration Of that latter group at coventry road that was made up potentially of individuals who had previously served in either the military or in law enforcement and that to me raised a concern a very serious concern about some of the counter operations that could be run uh, by uh, that group to overwhelm um, legitimate law enforcement and that i think is exactly what chief slowly is getting at
0: Incredible, yeah. Saxon. So, over to you, brother. Yeah,
2: so that's a very frustrating testimony to hear because, uh, as Tom was mentioning, uh, Mendocino likes to lie. And, uh, right there, as a veteran who was involved uh, specifically with other uh, veterans and other ex police doing security aspects, uh, I was pretty familiar with the different crowds and groups that made up. Uh, The convoy, just from doing my work of watching and kind of patrolling the streets, especially in the evening and stuff like that, when there would be more of a need for security, because even the police presence would go down on most nights during the weekday. So um, there was no organized anything anywhere to begin with. Uh, So that's the first thing. And we already know throughout the evidence that's been presented at the inquiry that there was no violent organizations Uh, that they actually had concerns about uh, or anything like that. Like, we've already gotten through that point. But Marco Mendocino is up on the stand claiming that he had concerns because there were military and ex-police organized and uh, they could overwhelm the police uh, using their tactics, and specifically at Coventry. And uh, I wasn't at Coventry very much, but uh, a lot of the people I talked to were. And the most that you would get from veterans' presence there was on occasion, sometimes they would go assist with watching the trucks in the evening, uh, kind of rotating in with the truckers themselves so they could get some extra sleep and things like that. So that would be the most that you would see from any veterans. And as for somebody who was working with other police doing close protection for people like Dr. Hodgkins, and uh maxine bernier and things like that taking them around when it was very busy on the weekends because they had threats against them uh that we were intercepting uh from social media and things like that from antifa people or very uh annoyed ottawa citizens um so we would get those threats and we understood that we had to have close protection for them but we, at no point in time, did I ever meet another veteran or police officer that wanted to do anything other than support the peaceful protest, help keep it peaceful. And uh, that was about it. And for being organized in any fashion, no organization for veterans, I can say anyways, happened till after the whole entire convoy. So there was not even an organized veteran presence to begin with, besides loosely organized groups that existed. And I think Jake will be able to speak a little bit more on that. But um, overall, he uh, he claims that there was groups at Coventry. There were not, there was no organized groups anywhere. He does not offer any evidence and there is no evidence to suggest that what he is saying is true. But he's up on the stand, he's not questioned. No one uh, rebuttals him on any of the statements he makes. And um, he makes unsubstantiated claims. Uh, he just gets to do that freely. And, uh, he just lied right through his teeth, uh, about things that didn't happen to make up concerns to, uh, buffer his reasoning to why he supported enacting the, uh, the emergency measures act, which is a total fabrication, but he's still doing it anyways, because the media can run away with what he's saying up on the stand, make some narratives out of it. And now we're going to see that, uh, ex military and ex police were actually there, uh, with plans to overwhelm, uh the police down there, which was never the case because we were more interested in working alongside the police to keep things on an even keel, to uh, be down there non-biased. For instance, uh, Marco Mendocino mentions in his testimony yesterday that uh, there was police being overwhelmed uh, by uh, uh, civilian protesters, like they were being um, swarmed, he said. Uh, There was never any swarming, but what you would see is people gather around to see what the police are doing. So there was an incident uh, where the police came and started causing a problem with one of the truckers that was parked on the road. And the police uh, caused a little bit of a scene. Uh, they came in a large number, probably about seven to eight police officers. Um, they showed up and they started to argue with some of the crowd and the crowd kind of encircled them and told them to go away. Uh, and so they ended up forming a line. Pat King was there and they sang Oh Canada and the uh, cops took off and they all cheered or whatever and so that would have been an example of a swarming of police uh so this is the type of language that he's using and exaggerating and now he's totally exaggerating the existence of veterans and ex-police being down there and uh so it's very frustrating to see because he's trying to act like we were going to use our previous training for violent means meanwhile he's actually engaging in trying to use active service members for violent means so uh it's it's pretty uh it's pretty frustrating to watch that happen and the narrative be spun up that now now veterans and ex police should be considered threats to uh, s- civil society, which I think is the underlying tone that people are going to walk away with. So I,
0: I well like uh, that. that's why we're doing this, gents, because this way we can clear up the record from people who were there, and I can confirm just from um, I was covering every nanosecond of this thing, and I had lots of friends down there in Ottawa um of course i've had danny bulford on the show many times to also talk about it he was doing the same thing going and trying to provide security and his whole message through the whole thing like you can't find a single video of him and so many others who were literally saying, guys, let's keep it peaceful. Let's keep it friendly. Even Tamara Leash, like, keep it peaceful. This is about love. It's about coming together. We're not trying to start anything. Let's support the police. Let's work with the police. Um, even guys like, uh, you know, Transplender, I always forget his name. He was down there every day. So many other guys checking and going Yep, high-fiving the cops, hanging out, you know, like it was totally a different vibe when you would watch The footage from the ground versus if you turn into like CBC news or something like that, right? So that's to be expected, of course, but Jake take it away, sir Uh,
3: Yeah, so Couldn't agree with Saxon anymore. Uh, I guess the only point I'll make is the only thing Well, it's not the only point I'll make the first point I'll make Um, the only thing close to any sort of like organization was um, the guard duty we put on the tomb and the uh, national war memorial after we took that despicable fence down, right? And uh, so that like so like I kept the guard schedule of two guys doing two hour shifts. That's about as organized as we got, right? Um, as far as the rest of it goes, like I, I, I like I said Zach and like or however you say his name in the parliament the day after we took the fence down. You know, this is a direct quote by any means, but said said, protesters appearing to be veterans attacked the War Memorial when we took defense down. Like, those were his words, we, that we attacked the War Memorial. And the reason that we appeared to look like veterans is because we were, right? That's why everybody was wearing berets and had medals on. Uh, like, actually, Brian Meyer gave us a little speech before we we did that and asked anybody that who wasn't a veteran to please step back. And you know, any veterans that was like, like not even with it, any veterans that weren't comfortable with, you know, no, like no harm, no foul, whatever. But we were doing this, right? So I mean, there's just hours and hours and hours and hours of video that disprove everything Marco says. And I and I like what Tom said too. But the stats they 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 are really, really, really harping on, on the um, uh, economic stress. Right, as one of the main factors in bringing in the EMA and their own gov- their own agency, Stats Canada, disproved them, disproved them months ago. Right, so they're just going to get up there and lie with impunity because why wouldn't they? Right, this inquiry has little to no power. Right, like you know, it's an inquiry, it's not a court proceeding, it's not an investigation, it's an inquiry so they can bring in more. They're going to. They're using the the EMA easier to bring in, in my opinion. So that's what I
0: got with that. And that's, yeah. and that's just yeah, can that's I just interject
1: one thing here that was really funny about the war memorial event. Uh, you know, so there's Mendocino saying we attacked it, and the newspapers are saying we descre- uh, we uh, desecrated it, and all this sort of stuff i laughed at ourselves while we were doing it because we're a bunch of ex-military guys and what do we do we take all the fencing down we put it over put it in one big pile squared the pile off so it was at 90 degrees and all nicely shaped took all the hardware from the fencing put it in the next pile everything was nicely squared away and then guys like jake had the tools there so we could scrape a a week's worth of ice snow and everything else and clean the thing up good enough that it would pass an inspection and then we had a padre from the military come in and run a prayer service on the war memorial. And I, I kind of just laugh at ourselves in the sense that, you know, here we are, you know, tearing the fencing down and attacking it, but we put it in nice 90 degree, you know, organized piles uh, and then had a padre come in. So the the distance between what really happened and what got discussed in parliament by guys like Mendocino is just amazing. Anyway, sorry, I, ju- I just had to say that. Uh, Dave, back to you.
0: Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's such a good point because that's what I watched. I'm sitting here, guys, in, I'm in British Columbia. And first of all, just the time that the trucker convoy happened was right around one of the darkest times that we've seen, right? Everybody was feeling so down, so low, and myself as well. And, um, Oh, I'm just getting a little bit of feedback. And maybe Tom, if you don't mind just turning your volume down, just a titch on your end. Uh, there you go. Um, the, the feeling that I got was just immense hope. And I watched so many people around me that were like, there were suicides going on. Like we've never seen before. There were people talking like that around me. Um, there's just, it was incredible. And when the truckers lit up, I've never seen anything like it. I've never experienced anything like it. It's I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. Um, And just seeing people, we were talking before the show, Tom about stuff that you'd never see that we saw like Albertans and Quebecers hugging and dancing and singing the national anthem together. That just, that's why aren't we having an inquiry about how this was one of the most unifying events we've ever seen. Um, And you know, so when I saw that it was like a light out of the darkness and I watched all the footage and I even did live streams, eight hour live streams, covering the events and trying to show people. And then you turn into the news and it's, it's like they're showing you a movie that doesn't exist. And now here we are with this inquiry. And I think what everybody's wondering, because that feeling of um, anxiety or whatever you want to call it in Canadians is really high right now because they're feeling like they're just getting a snow job here where, oh, we're doing an inquiry, but there's not going to be anything coming out of it. So I think some people are just quick to go. There's no value to it. Uh, maybe we could just go around really quickly and and let. What do you think? Like I feel like the value from a media standpoint is or an optics standpoint is that we get the opportunity to get these guys on the stand to lie under oath, document it, and then continue to share out this information to help wake up other Canadians. So I think that's the value. Um, but you know, I get that point where people are like. They're just going to keep protecting the government officials. Trudeau's probably not even going to show. He's going to hide behind the curtains again or get COVID or he's got to go visit Davos or something urgent. And, you know, so people feel like we're not really going to get anything out of this. Do you agree with that? Or do you think there is a lot of value to what we're seeing with the convoy? Uh, let's just swing over to Saxon first there.
2: It's, it's really mixed for me because uh, I have noticed that there seem to be two different types of modes of, uh, I guess, for lack of better terms, freedom fighter in Canada. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of people lean heavily on uh, hoping that other things are going to change things for them. But when it comes to the, uh, the outcomes of the Emergency Measures Act inquiry, I think that largely uh, it's going to provide a lot of uh, cover for the, the liberal government. And it seems to be designed that way. Uh, yesterday, we witnessed the uh, government object to bringing in um, unredacted evidence uh, to, so that could be examined and cross-examined appropriately by the uh, convoy organizer lawyers. And um, so we see things like that happening. Uh, the uh, commissioner himself already ruled not to bring in any of the uh, uh, unredacted uh, evidence as well. So it just shows that they're not really interested in getting to the truth. And, um, I feel that it's basically, it's because it has to happen after the emergency measures act is, uh, enacted, you have to have an inquiry. They pick the judge, the judge is connected heavily to the liberal party, uh, in the past and currently. And, um, what are we going to do? Uh, I don't think we're going to really get much other than lies that we can show. And I think that's unfortunate because a lot of people do uh, deserve to get some type of, uh, I don't want to use the word retribution, but uh, to have some accountability shown uh, on behalf of these governments uh, that have come down hard. I mean, the only evidence of violence that there has been so far has been the videos of um, um, Chris and uh, the other uh, lady there who uh, were beaten by the police and had rifles pointed at them and things along those lines. Uh, And they tried to hide that stuff from the public as best they could. So that's all that really you need to see to know what this inquiry is really about, is how they're acting about going along with these things. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to bring anybody to account. And... um, If anything, they're going to use anything they can, which is why they don't correct Mendocino or uh, ask him to substantiate anything he says. Um, They're not they're not going to do anything but make it easy to bring cover for the the liberals or make them sound like maybe they're kind of stupid and they don't understand things. But that's passable to a degree. Um, So it's a show, unfortunately. And I think that most people need to start really understanding that. the best thing we can do is get together in our communities and support each other. Cause at this point uh, things are, unfortunately, I'm not trying to be a doomer, but things are getting, are getting worse. And there's not going to be much to do other than protect yourself and your friends.
0: Right. 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 Uh, Jake, what do you think, brother?
3: Yeah, I think Zach nailed it there again, but uh, the, I mean, the one thing that I've gotten out the inquiry, Was like, I knew about the Privy Council, but now that I have like, I know their names and their faces, that was a bonus for me because those are the people that have been string pulling for years that most people have never heard of, right? Everybody knows Mendocino, everybody knows Trudeau, right? So that was a positive, I think. Um, Again, I got to agree with the not, uh, not not retribution, but the. Uh, A little bit of validation, I guess, from, like, you know, okay, so I wasn't crazy, like, that stuff did happen, and they're putting it on record, but as far as, any, like, if anybody thinks anybody's losing their job over this, or there's going to be anybody put in jail from the government, I mean, don't get your hopes up on that one, for sure, but, and that's about it for me, like, I agree with Saxon, like, find friends, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's good points. And uh, Tom, when I get, let's get your comments. And I guess the, maybe the way I'm thinking about it is we have a captured government situation. And in order to weed this sort of Canadian deep state out for lack of a better term, I think it's actually pretty accurate. Uh, we, It's going to be a step-by-step marathon because Canada has been sadly asleep at the wheel on so many of these issues, but we're slowly getting a crash course. Um, you got a lot of, you know, a lot of people in Ottawa, you know, a lot of people all over the country. Uh, do you feel like more people are starting to wake up to the truth about this? Do you feel like it's getting worse in that front? Do you, and do you feel like this inquiry could maybe get things into evidence or into, um, what do you call it? Setting precedent of some kind that could lead to further court hearings or things because there are these we got a lot of things going on in bc for example where there's a lot of stuff with bonnie henry and there she's back in court i think coming up again uh there's a lot of different people trying to bring their case for what went down with the mandates and i'm just wondering if the if the inquiry in any way would be a positive thing for helping to gather the evidence so that we can pursue further legal action down the road what do you think about all that
1: um i think uh yeah, well, wow, there are a lot of things there. Okay, so first thing, um, I think the, the inquiry itself is part of the larger process of waking people up in Canada. Uh, as Saxon and Jake pointed out, the thing has no teeth, no one's going to jail, no one's going to get fired. People have consistently lied verifiably under oath, and they won't be held accountable in any legal sense of the term. Having said that, the first week of the inquiry was actually kind of interesting in the sense we saw that You know, the thing was a complete clown show. Uh, The Ottawa police are blaming the OPP. The OPP is blaming the RCMP. The RCMP is blaming blah, 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 and on it goes. So let's just go back and kind of remember what happened. The convoy showed up, legally constituted group of citizens, to talk to Parliament. Parliament, by the way, comes from the word parlay, to speak. They were there to speak to their federal representatives. The chief federal representative is a guy named Prime Minister Trudeau, who physically ran away uh, and had to go into hiding because the big evil trucks with noisy horns or something, I don't know, we're scaring him or something. So he ran away. Then you're left with Mayor Watson, who God bless his soul is basically incompetent. Uh, he's involved in a whole bunch of scandals with you know, the, the rail system here is a billion dollars over and guess who's involved, SNC, LAVLAN and all that sort of stuff. So poor old Watson. Uh, who's out of his depth, is stuck holding this problem. And he dumps it on his chief police, slowly, who got himself fired, in my opinion, by stating the truth. When he was asked, why aren't you arresting these people and dragging them off? He goes, it's not a police problem. It's a political problem, and it needs a political solution. And in my opinion, that's what got him fired, was he correctly pointed out that it wasn't a police failure, it was a political failure. In the intelligence branch, we're always, we always laugh, there's two things, there's intelligence failures and operational successes. In this case, you know, there's political success and a police failure. Uh, so the politicians will say they did everything right, but it's the fault of the police. I think that was a bit of good fun just to watch the evidence unwind that every one of those groups of people was unprepared, incompetent, but none of them are willing to call out the actual problem and say, the problem is the prime minister ran away and stayed in hiding basically for three weeks. Um, I don't want to get into a whole fifth generation warfare discussion here. We can do that later. But one of the things that's fascinating to me about the commission is it's a great example of fifth generation warfare. Here we watch minister Mendo Marchicino. Mendocino lying on the stand with zero evidence saying, you know, there's this special group of secret military and police guys hanging out at Coventry and, ooh, they were going to do stuff and then overthrow the government. He says that while offering zero evidence. The media then reports and says, oh, the minister was worried about those police and military guys who are going to overthrow the government. And the public is told, that's really what it was all about. It wasn't really about the convoy and the horn and the diesels. It was about, you know, those secret military and police guys that were gonna overthrow the government. So the, the public now is kinda like, whoa, whoa, that must be true. So that is a classic example of watching the cycle go. The minister lies about it. The media reports it without questioning, you know, does the minister have any actual evidence, which of course he doesn't. It's fed to the public, the public believes it, and then the cycle goes around and around again. So. In my book, I mean, Eyewitness to Deceit, I wrote this thing because to me, the entire campaign uh, by the government of Canada was an info war against the convoy from square one. And it's fascinating to watch the Commission of Inquiry playing its role in this info warfare of allowing guys like Mendocino, we're going to see. Uh, Omar Elgaba, who's lied through his teeth repeatedly about the convoy as well. Uh, And, you know, they get to get on the stand, lie without any accountability. And that becomes part of the public record. And there we go. So I'm like Saxon and Jake. I'm kind of mixed. On the one hand, it's good to see people out there. It's good to see the testimony. It's good to see information getting out onto the public record. On the other hand, uh, no accountability. Uh, Nobody's going to get cross-examined later. Uh, I mean, I can prove that, you know, Mendicino lies through his teeth repeatedly. Uh, In my book, uh, Rick and I actually went through each footnote, like the 200 footnotes we put in there. Each footnote is individually assessed for source reliability and information credibility to a level I would walk into court, into a federal court in Canada with my book to testify to every footnote and every statement. So, you know, Mendicino's a liar. The press will not challenge him on these issues. So we're left with, you know, independent media, private media and small groups to raise the issues and put the truth out there. So, again, like Jake and uh, Saxon, I'm mixed, but, you know, it's a process that's occurring. And I think at the end of the day, you know, more people are going to watch this and they're going to kind of say, wow, you know, what is really going on here, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's and that's where I guess I, I sit just because I do this independent media that I've gotten so much ammunition out, out there because of this and because of the work of great people on the ground. Um, and so that's what's helped. And I, I know personal people in my life that they were trusting the media on a lot of things. And then they either went to Ottawa themselves and came back and went, holy crap, they are totally lying about this. Or I sent them a clip or an interview or something. And they're like, I didn't know this. And now they're, thinking about it differently. So in that sense, it's a positive because we got to wake Canada up because even if we get all these guys out and we replace them with moral people that are actually going to work with the constitution and the real law, um, if Canada is fast asleep, we could just get more of these guys back in, in the future. And it would be a constant repeating, uh, situation. Right. And as you were talking there, Tom, it made me think of that quote from, um, what's his name? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he was talking about how tyranny works. And he's like, they, or we know they're lying. They know, we know they're lying yet. They still lie. And that's what it's like. And all of the friends that I've had, who've been to Venezuela, Romania, Poland, Russia, China, who come out and are like trying to warn Canadians, guys, don't you see, they're doing the exact same blueprint here. This is what it is. Um, They would say the same thing. They'd be like, yeah, that's when, you know, it's tyranny is when everybody knows that they're lying and they just keep doing it and i we're watching that happen in front of our eyes and speaking of lies let's do that other clip here this is the second clip that i have let's just watch this quickly and we'll come back for more comments minister of public safety the rcmp and uh both report to you is that right yes and minister you are receiving a range of information about the risks and threats uh from from those agencies uh uh, that were being posed by the Ottawa occupation? Yes. And um, we understand, we've heard other evidence, there were former uh, military and law enforcement members who were participating in and assisting the convoy. You were hearing that information? I'd heard those reports, yes. And um, I gather that was a concern uh, for public safety because those types of individuals would have certain skills and expertise that could you know, present some logistical or greater threats? Yes, that's correct. Wow. Wow. Here, I'm just going to open up the mics and uh, let's just keep it free flow. Um, who wants to go first with that one? Saxon, you want to say something?
2: Or? Yeah, so I, I do find it, uh that's, again, kind of another uh, he's, he's pushing, again, the military and ex-police narrative that there's a threat and uh, that uh, the RCMP and so on were concerned about us, which uh, I find really interesting uh, that they were talking about. Oh, the RCMP and CSIS were mentioning uh, oh the threats that the convoy uh, have. Meanwhile, uh, some of us on the ground, were seeing what was happening in the news, like let's say at Coots. And a lot of the rumors we were hearing was like, oh, they planted weapons and they're gonna come and plant weapons on the convoy trucks and stuff like that. So things that we would do, uh, part of my old job in the military would be like search and looking for weapons and things like that. So uh, we talked amongst ourselves about, uh, How do we tell these truckers to keep their eyes out for these types of things and kind of police themselves in a way that's legal and makes sense and that's not confrontational in any ways? Because at different points in times, trucks were showing up and joining the convoy and protest at different spots uh, where they were gathering. So the things that we would do would be like, okay, so we'll we'll have the message passed out to these different factions of truckers that exist that okay, just be aware that if anybody comes and joins your area, that you ask if you could see around their cab and check their trucks and ask them if they're carrying any weapons or anything like that as a deterrent and as a way to find anything that might be getting planted amongst the truckers. And then to report that to the police right away. And it was always the police that were going to handle the things. We would just direct them on how to safely go about making sure and monitoring. None of these things were happening to us. So uh, that's about it. And that's for like experience and things that were being, uh, put around. Um, there was, there was no ill will towards the police. We wanted to work with them. We wanted to keep them safe, us safe. And we didn't want to have any issues because we understood that the police are often looked down on by the media and society as well. So we didn't necessarily want to go out of our way, uh, to, uh, get them involved in anything that would look bad either so part of our whole idea was is that we can all walk away looking good from this and protect canadians and that's how we kind of were looking at our situation doing security and things like that well the police were walking around openly doing it and they have all the legal authority so you'd always direct people you should go speak to the police over there a woman came over to me and said that she was uh doing donations and there was a, a strange group of people uh that were watching her And I said, okay, that's excellent. And I took her to the police and said, okay, here's a police officer. Tell her what you told me. And then that's it. So they're acting like there was like this chaotic group down there. We're like, okay, like we're openly working with the police and there's nothing to report about us doing anything extreme at all. And that's the narrative they're trying to walk away with. So that's my counter narrative, the truth of what was going on. Uh, We wouldn't do anything other than uh, be like, Oh, that's a bad situation to get caught up in. How do we protect ourselves from weapons showing up at the convoy? And like, that's, that's it. So I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's good. And, and maybe, uh, Jake or whoever wants to go. I was just thinking too, about this whole discussion that happened yesterday that ended up, I think getting the convoy lawyer kicked out with that evidence. It, it did have to do with the, whoever it was that was bearing the Nazi flag, that it turns out I think there's a connection to the Toronto Star or something. I don't want to spread rumors, but this is what I'm hearing. Um, or at least we know who the person was, and he couldn't even get Medicino to even admit to just a basic understanding of law. Uh, and then he had a big argument. He got kicked out. But do you guys have any comments on that? Because the average person that was listening to the media uh, is, is conflating the truckers with literal Nazis, and yet we just have the one sighting of that flag And then I remember watching footage people were sending me of when the counter protesters came in, there was like nine communist flags flying around. And I'm like, how come there's no inquiry into that? And there was actual uh, instances. I remember there was a video where like a 13 year old girl uh, had some drunk guy came up and just was like grabbing her flag and started a whole thing and started a fight with the dad and the dad was trying to not do anything. That guy ended up getting arrested. Um, and then, of course, the violence from the police. So we did have violence. We did have extremism, but it didn't come from our side, in my opinion. Uh, Jake, what do you think? Uh, I want to know
3: what happened to the trailer load of guns that went missing that week. Everybody remember yeah, that? Yeah, in
2: Toronto. Yeah.
3: What happened there? Odd timing, I thought. Odd timing. Yeah. Anyway, how do you lose a trailer of guns, first of all? Second, <laughs> anybody that thinks that a communist flag is it the worst flag on the planet needs to go read a history book for sure. Right. For sure. Um, But yeah, like, I I mean, we were, Saxon and I only had very few, I think maybe one or two meetings actually there, but my group of veterans out of the tomb was doing the same thing as far as going around, um, like down the side streets off Wellington, like the perpendicular streets, excuse me, and just doing the same sort of thing. Like make sure the guys at each corner kind of had a little guard going, looking for these things, you know, strangers showing up, right And uh, as far as that goes, like I've had some pretty interesting conversations in the last uh, year of my life. like I spent uh, I guess three or four months walking across halfway across the country with James Topp. I uh, met a lot of veterans wow. there, a lot of, a lot of veterans that were in Ottawa and some of the things that those guys saw like you and Saxon, you and I had a pretty con- pretty good conversation there in Fredericton, if you do if you recall, right? It wasn't the last or first or last time I'd heard things like that, right? So I was more concerned about uh, the agent provocateurs than anything else, to be honest.
2: Yeah, they were there.
1: (laughs) One other thought to follow up uh, with that is a lot of people ask, well, what were vets even doing there? Why were you involved? Why did James Top walk across Canada? What were you guys up to? Um, Here's kind of the thing, and I know uh, people don't like to hear this, but Vets are not extremists. We're not radicals. We're the opposite of that. We're the opposite of all this stuff. And the reason is we've got a bunch of guys like myself of a certain age uh, who went to places like Bosnia, Croatia, Albania, Belarus. You've got those young whippersnappers there, uh, the young guys like Saxon and Jake who've been, you know, to, and a whole bunch of other guys, obviously, who went to a different series of places like Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever. And then we've got guys who've Mali in central america and Land heights and the sinai and cyprus and you name it um We know what stupid looks like because we've seen stupid up close uh when you see a country like yugoslavia which wasn't that bad a place get ripped to pieces by heavy artillery and tanks you start to understand what the politics of identity are about when you see the ethnic cleansing when you see the rape camps when you see the refugees and all that stuff you start to understand what politics looks like when it turns into a bare knuckle game and our government has chosen to send us to multiple uh multiple conflicts around the world uh, for multiple reasons uh, typically to try and stop some of this foolishness or put it in check or whatever and of course we got guys right now in eastern europe who are indirectly part of that whole mess in ukraine and we could wind up in something there again but here's the thing most vets are pro-constitution we're pro bill of rights, we're pro charter of rights, we know what the criminal code is, we know what it's about. And generally speaking, at least up to the convoy, we're pretty pro police. And we tried to put the police in a good position during the convoy, uh, most of whom were pretty good, a few of the senior ones like we've seen, like Brenda Lucky, not so good. Um, (laughs) But we're very pro law and order. So uh, the only thing I ever took personally out of this whole convoy, was Councillor Diana Deans in Ottawa saying they knew there were terrorists operating in the convoy. And Danny Bullard and I took that personally because I've testified in criminal court against an Al-Qaeda inspired terrorist plot at some risk to my own life. I've done a whole bunch of counterterrorism work and Danny Bullard, uh, ex-RCMP guy, ex-Sniper guy, Danny is the absolute tip of the pointy end of the tip of the sword uh, in these kinds of things. And we did that video, Danny and I, and he said, look, if we see anybody, anybody show up in Ottawa, advocating violence, advocating terrorism, advocating the overthrow of the government, We know exactly how to go after them, who to turn them over to specifically, i.e. RCMP and that. And if there had been any of that kind of nonsense even begin to surface in the convoy, the vets would be the first people to take it out. Because we know what those idiots are like. We've seen what they've done in Bosnia, Croatia. We've seen what they've done in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, uh, Mali, you name it. Um, And all of this sort of extremism stuff the government accuses us of. Is the exact opposite of what we actually stand for so again you see this joseph goebbels kind of information coming out of the government that they are accusing us exactly what it is they are involved in the politics of identity that's the government of canada the politics of division that's the government of canada the politics of hate that's the heritage department Uh, you know, again, another government department. Uh, So, yeah, we we took that part kind of personally, at least I did. Uh, And that's the only time. The rest of it, you know, out freezing freezing my butt off in minus 20 degree weather at my somewhat advanced age. Uh, That's just a part of being here. I didn't mind that. Having my accounts frozen was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, But being called a terrorist and violence by a grossly incompetent city council and a grossly incompetent prime minister, that just... Yeah, I took that one personal. Anyway, end of
0: rant. <laughs> I love your rants. This is great. I was thinking too about um, there was if people have a short term memory. Unfortunately, before the pandemic, we had people holding CN rail hostage and lighting pallets on fire and having armed patrols guarding the, their, their protest uh, with full backing of the RCMP, full protection of the RCMP, full protection of the government and the media, Right. Um, We had the summer of love in the U.S. that spilled out into Canada uh, over George Floyd. That ended up being the most peaceful demonstration that was mostly peaceful that we've ever seen, although it ended up burning multiple states almost to the ground and cities and businesses getting kicked in. And of course, the whole media around the world was at the back of that, uh, including in Canada. And so you really start to think, oh, oh, we had what, how many churches got burned to the ground? Um, you know, and, and again, aside from the issues that inspire these things, um, we have a beautiful example that actually was a shining light to the world about how to do the most peaceful protest possible. Uh, when you have millions of people around the country, uh, it wasn't even just Ottawa. I was out on the legislation here in British Columbia. It was every weekend was just packed truckers coming, vets, police, everybody. Um, it was all over the country. So when you have that many people that are able to get together and there's no, there's not even a fist. Well, maybe there's a couple fist fights. I didn't even see footage of it, but there was no violence. Yeah. There probably wasn't even that. And yet here we are for weeks and weeks in minus whatever 40 weather you have this beautiful thing. And that's the one they demonize. And this is an indication that um, there's, this is a one-sided situation and the government is corrupt in that way. Uh, Did you guys have any comments on that about the just direct hypocrisy of this being the most freaky, scary thing that ever happened? Yet we had people literally burning buildings to the ground not so long ago. Yes. Uh, it's
2: an ideological uh, campaign that they're waging on a lot of people and you have to fall in line with their ideology. Uh, things like uh, BLM and the LGBT plus type uh, protests and parades and things like that. They get massive support because it pushes division and it also kind of robs culture and stuff like that in Canada. So they like that. And um that's what they want to push when they see something that's united canadians behind their actual culture which is the canadian spirit that was driving all of us there and driving all of us to participate in some type of protest to show the government what we really thought that's what they want to crush because the canadian spirit literally took out the nazis it took out uh uh the germans in world war one like uh, don't mess around with the canadian spirit and they saw that gathering and uh, they had to paint that badly. Anything that takes away from that Canadian spirit and causes division, they want to promote because that's their ideology. It's like a di- division-based death cult is what we're dealing with here. And uh, that's that's what we got all the time is constant ideology. And uh, if you're not in line with their ideology, they take you out. And if you do things that aren't in line with their ideology, they take you out. Look at Jeremy McKenzie right now. Uh, so like uh, that's uh, that's where we're at in this country. And uh, unfortunately, we're at an ideological war and uh, information war with this government.
0: Jake, what do you think? Uh,
3: I just want to answer Tom's question when you know about why vets were there. If you want to know why veterans were in Ottawa, you need to go back to Chris Hearing's testimony at the inquiry, right? If you want to like, that's why veterans were there. Full stop, right? Like
0: That was a bombshell, yeah.
3: Oh, I, no one has an excuse if Christian doesn't have an excuse as far as I'm concerned, right? Like, that that guy's an actual hero, like an actual one, right? Um, Yeah, I agree, I agree with Saxon, Tom, and no surprise, but uh, it's an ideological war, right? Like, And I and I totally agree with what Saxon said about the Canadian, like, that was the true, or, you know, that's a little bit cliche to say even now, but that was the Canadian spirit as far as I'm concerned. You know, I never went... I never went on a tour or saw no combat myself, uh, but I grew up, I live in the house today that uh, my parents built, you know, on land that's been in my family since 1861. And my grandfather was uh, wounded in the Battle of Ortona in Italy in 1944, right? And I, to this day, walk by his medals, right? His medals for bravery in the field, his campaign starts, right? And they just want to do everything they can to tear that down, right? But look, look why, why do you think? that we're allowing non-citizens uh, into the army at this point, permanent residents, right? Because they've created a culture within the country that the young men of the country, which since time immemorial have filled the ranks of any army, don't have any pride in their country, right? They're taught to hate themselves, hate their ancestors, you're all racist, you know, men are women, women are or men, or, or not, or whatever, you know what I mean? So wh- what, like, and... and I don't know man, like not to go on too bad of a rain here, but why would any of them want to sign up for the military? Right? Right.
1: Well you get to wear yeah, a pink tutu now. that a pink tutu now, boys, that's pretty exciting. Um we didn't have boys, that when I, I joined. Uh,
3: I saw I saw some guys in Truro on the way home the other day, man, that both of you would have shit your pants. Like I'm talking a literal blue mohawk. Right? Blue Mohawk. Blues boots not blouse, man. Like basically kind of a a, a bitty bag was what he looked like, man. I was just like i wanted to explode, you know what I mean? Like you imagine showing up for roll call in the morning and you're to your warranty and you're looking like that? Like Yeah. So not I'm only not only have we we have a what was it, twelve thousand people we've lost this year? recruit it recruited free. The standards are in the toilet, quite obviously. I just talked to uh some of the my drag extra dragon buddies, they talked to a guy recently. And they're down. So normally a, a troop in the armored corps is 32 guys. The troops now in the regiment are 16 guys. That's only four vehicles per troop in an armor regiment. And like, that's half. We're half.
0: Wow. We're
1: half. Yeah. Just, right? and that's that's like, kind
0: of- <laughs> yeah.
1: Just to follow up, David, on your comments about uh, terrorism and this sort of stuff uh, and events that were occurring, like the church burnings, don't forget there was also an incident in British Columbia where an oil facility was attacked. Multi-million dollars worth of heavy equipment was destroyed in a planned, coordinated attack. And as someone who's extensively on terrorism, someone who's testified in criminal court and federal court on terrorism, I feel perfectly comfortable in saying that attack, on that oil facility met the narrow legal definition of a terrorist attack. So those folks who carried out that terrorist attack have faced no repercussions. The RCMP says they're investigating. It's been almost a year now, nothing's happening. I'll tell you, nothing's gonna happen. The attacks on the churches can be considered vandalism in some cases. When you start burning them, is it terrorism? It's a tough discussion to get into without knowing the motivation of the people, but certainly it's over in that direction. So when Trudeau was asked about, well, what about this burning of churches? You know, is this serious? He goes, well, yeah, they're burning churches, but you have to realize it's understandable. In other words, people are angry. So, you know, it's okay to go out and burn stuff down, but yet with the convoy where we stressed peace where we cooperated with the police, where we shared our intelligence with, I went around and banged on police car windows and said, here's our intelligence reports, you need to read them. We stuck them on Twitter, we stuck them on uh, Google Drive so everybody could read them. Uh, We get called terrorists and people are hunted down and exposed in public with illegally hacked material saying, oh, you donated twenty dollars to that convoy so you know we're going to ruin your life and we're going to associate you to terrorism so yeah we've got actual terrorists in canada blowing stuff up for political reasons and the rcmp and the federal government remain completely passive in the face of this but if you have a major demonstration in ottawa that will basically embarrasses the government you get the terrorist label, you get investigated, you get your accounts frozen, you get tossed into jail. And for the record, Tamara Leash is a political prisoner, let's be clear. Um, And also, just while we're on the subject, uh, Jeremy McKenzie and Pat King, you can have your opinion of them, you can like them, you can hate them, up to you, free speech, whatever they say, there it is. The reality is, neither one of those guys worked For the convoy neither one of them had any decision making role in the convoy neither one of them played any role in which truck went where or which can of diesel fuel wound up anywhere both of those guys are social media operators yeah they had a big following yeah they had influence that way but the fact that they've been arrested and harassed and all that stuff uh to me falls into the heading of a, of a political prisoner. Now, I don't think we should go down the road too far today because there's ongoing legal cases and I don't want to get into it and sort of corrupt the process and everything right. else. But uh, when uh, Danny Bullard wrote the uh, the introduction for my book and he says, and, and I agree with him, that either one of us as experienced professionals in testifying in court and Danny as an RCMP officer would happily walk into a criminal court or a federal court and say, Pat King, Jeremy McKenzie had zero influence on the outcome and the decisions of the convoy. Both of them are big time social media people. And again, you can choose to like him or dislike him. That's up to you.
0: Yeah, End exactly. The government, oh, sorry. when they come in and they start moving past just well it's even bad enough with the censorship that's something that i've experienced and many other content create i've been kicked off every mainstream platform because i covered the pandemic i covered the elections i covered a lot of these things that you're not allowed to talk about even though the most the most important subjects possible i started interviewing doctors i started interviewing professors that canadian professors uh that were coming out in against a lot of these mandates and, and the justification for it and you just start to go well. Um, there was numerous ways the government could have prevented this uh, event. Number one, they could have answered the call for a public discussion with health Canada with uh, the three doctors that came to that event. Uh, But instead they didn't even show we had Dr. Byron bridal, who's like one of the world's most renowned virologists. And here he is warning people to this exact moment about the real science that they're suppressing about these shots that led to the mandates. Um, And so that's why I named my documentary The Truckers Were Right because they've turned out to be right. All the science is coming out. We've had admissions all over. And even if this these shots were made out of like leprechaun tears or something, uh, you know, you still have a right over your body. You still. We just did the protest, my body, my choice. And all of a sudden that just went out the window with this one thing. Um, so the contradictions are right there. Uh, Tom, really quickly, you were mentioning – before the show, I don't know how much you want to get into on this, but you were saying there's a comparison here in Canada to what we've seen going on in places like Venezuela. Um, I've had some friends on here to talk about this, and one of the first things they do is start to demonize the the majority of the citizenry, uh, the middle class, and then uh, they start the division games. Then they start the censorship process. They start the censorship process maybe at the bottom, and they move up to the intellectual class. They start censoring them. And then it moves from that very quickly to boots on the ground, outright tyranny and all the other stuff. Did you want to just quickly comment on that, Tom?
1: Yeah, it's always tough to use analogies to talk about what's going on. You know, some people call Trudeau. They say he's Hitler. He's Stalin. He's he's this. He's that. He's whatever. Um if, if I think if people want to understand where is Canada going, what does our future look like? Uh, I think Venezuela is a great example. Venezuela used to be a, a great country. They had a bunch of resources. They had an economy. They had industry. People were eating. Uh, people used to like to visit Venezuela because a great tourist destination. Uh, and in 1998, Hugo Chavez took over, uh, very much a cultural Marxist, very much a socialist in, in the sort of Trudeau World Economic Forum sense of the term. Uh, And he said about, first off, undermining the media. Uh, They closed a bunch of media outlets, nationalized a bunch of media outlets and took them over so they could only broadcast sort of like government-friendly information which is exactly what we see in canada the the government literally bought out a good chunk of the media and now they're trying to reshape internet so they can control who the content creators are so guys like you dave are under the under the axe uh they disarmed the population by making it illegal to own most firearms and if anybody noticed yesterday the government of Canada just came out again and said any center fire uh, semi-automatic with a clip or something is now on the banned list and any shotgun is on the banned list. So they're working their way down to disarming Canadians completely. Um, they've essentially sort of taken over and controlled much of the political process. And again, this is a conversation for an entire show, but um, Justin Trudeau is prime minister with 21% of registered voters having voted for him. And even Elections Canada came out and admitted they they sort of, oops, lost 200,000 votes uh, during the last election. Not quite sure where they went. And that 200,000 votes would have been enough if they were properly distributed to change the outcome of the election, which our media didn't cover at all. Black, Black Locks Media covered it. A few other people covered it, but nobody else did. But what we're seeing also, the same thing is the government in Venezuela took over the oil industry. And crippled it took over most of the heavy industry crippled it and then a whole bunch of the smart people in Venezuela started just leaving the country uh, because they realized there was no future for them economically or socially so uh, people always say well you know it can't happen here in Canada and Canada can't do this and can't do that And it's like well guys like me and guys like Saxon and a whole bunch of other folks have been in places like Bosnia and Croatia and you know wherever where things were actually pretty good and yet three four five years later you've got heavy artillery and tanks in the street so right just to close off this rant i'll say yesterday it came out or was it this morning i can't remember anyway it doesn't matter it came out today that justice minister lametti public safety minister mendicino were discussing whether they should use tanks in the convoy and i think this was about february 3rd so this is like early on And one of them says to the other in a text, you know, well, we got to talk to Anita, i.e. the defense minister, you know, and find out, well, how many tanks do we have? And then the other guy comes back and says, well, how many do you think we'll need? We need to know this. And it's like, oh, one will probably do the trick, uh, but we'll check and find out. So you have a justice minister and a public safety minister willfully having a conversation about talking to the defense minister about how do they get tanks onto the street. This is China. This is Tiananmen Square. This is Egypt in the revolution. This is Venezuela. This is every third whole, you know, third world banana republic we've talked about. Uh, and as veterans, we're sitting here looking at this going, holy crap, you've got ministers of the crown discussing the idea of putting heavy armor onto the streets. And then just to make it completely interesting, earlier testimony, RCMP commissioner is talking about taking military personnel, dressing them up like they're RCMP and putting them into the street. Now, fortunately, in defense of the military here, I think a number of folks at the military just kind of went like, whoop, nope, we're not getting involved in this. This is not us. We don't get involved. We'll provide, you know, medical services, or we can do this and good to that. But we're not getting involved in the actual street fight. So I think it's good. But having said that, the military is going full woke. They've got struggle sessions now you have to go to and identify yourself as a white racist and a supremacist, and you're the co- of all the problems and all so our military is sliding towards being a woke military and i think again i'm often around here sorry about this but there's there's two oh, kinds good. of military there's a military that serves the country it defends borders it advances political foreign policy overseas it participates in alliances like canada does with nato or you do peacekeeping like we did through the u.n or whatever and then there's a politicized military that serves the party so just so folks know in china The military doesn't address itself to the government, it addresses itself to the head of the Communist Party. That's who controls the military. And what we're seeing in Canada and the United States as well right now, we have this military that is increasingly being bred and shaped to express the idea that they are there to serve the will of the government of the day, which is the exact opposite of what we were taught is, we stay out of politics, you're there to defend democracy, not discuss it. Uh, but you're there to serve the will of parliament and the will of the country, not the will of the political party that's in charge that day. So that's another slippery slope we're going down. But again, another discussion for another day. But the good thing is, I think in this case, that actually came out during the commission that our so-called justice minister and so-called, so-called chief law enforcement agents wanted to put tanks on the street.
0: That's a great like that alone. Like what? what the hell? Like that's. I'm, I, we should do we do another trucker convoy to protest the inquiry? I don't know what no, no, we don't do it. Okay, Jake, what do you think? Go ahead.
3: Do not go back to Ottawa with another convoy. Everybody listening, that like what, what do you honestly think is going to be the outcome of that? You think the EMA got put in without reason this time? Holy shit. Like, I, and, and all honestly, you're never going to recreate it, it's never going to happen, right?
0: Yeah, One time thing, and and
3: and they're waiting for it, like. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I don't know, it's like Tom Tom the help as usual. Like it's just we got these we got like well, for example, right? I, I was on Wellington Street, I was about a half a block away from the Supreme Court of Canada, it's where we were staying. on on the, in my oh. buddy's old toy Olive trailer. We had an oil little, little oil drip stove in there. And uh, I actually had one of them, the conservative MP for uh, I can't remember who it was. He was he was so or uh, west
0: of Edmonton
3: to the Rockies. That guy stopped into our trailer to talk for about an hour, probably a dozen times, on his way back and forth to work. Right? We yeah. I had liberal and conservative staffers personally help me haul fuel and salt to the war memorial. You know what I mean? So it's not quite as uh clear cut, and the, the, those lines aren't as, as clear cut as I don't think everybody wants to think, right? Like, So I, I called my MP. My MP is Chris D'Entremont, who's the Deputy Speaker of the House. I think everybody remembers the clip of the, the lady asked the question about the WEF, which was heard clearly, and then the, right. the Speaker's like, oh, we can't hear. Well, that's my MP. I called that guy,
0: I don't know, probably every day
3: I was on Wellington Street, right? Hey, group of vets, meet for the War Memorial every day at 1,300. The outcome know, of that was my number is to this day blocked on all three of his offices.
0: Wow, what does that tell you? Also, it tells me that it tells me that I don't
3: deserve
1: representation. That's what that tells me.
0: Right, that's bullshit, man. Yeah.
1: Just That's a good. comment on Convoy 2.0, I've seen a lot of people, they've come to me, I've, I've had the police and stuff come to me and say, what's going on with Convoy 2.0? And, and I tell them, honestly, I don't know anything about it. I'm not involved in it. Uh, like, don't ask me any more questions. But to have any kind of substantive demonstration in Ottawa right now that looked, smelled, or felt like a convoy, to my idea, would be a disastrous idea. This town is so full of hate right now, it's so full of anger, it's so full of vengeance that the government of the day and I mean Trudeau, Mendocino, Lamedi, uh, what's her face there, uh, Christy Freeland, the Deputy Freeland, Prime yeah. Minister and Finance Minister, they are just looking for any excuse to take people down in a very hard way. And my advice would be to do something different. Form communities in your neighborhood. Approach your local politicians. Approach your local MPs. Start going after these guys. Big street demonstration in Toronto. Go for it. Winnipeg, Vancouver, whatever. Have a demonstration on the Hill in Canada. Great. Um, but any sort of a, uh, a formed thing like a condo, I think people want to create, recreate that massive three-week-long party that was so full of love and caring and parties and... Reconciliation and all that stuff people want to recreate that and I understand why they want to do it because it was one of the Greatest events in Canada, uh, but to try and recreate that right now uh, I think a would be very difficult B, the last the, the convoy was itself not really organized It was a grassroots thing that just came out of the ground um, yeah. and uh, This is something, you know, I would testify to and I've told people the greatest strength of that convoy that it was grassroots and that it was a movement not an organization perhaps the greatest weakness of the convoy was it wasn't an organization because it was grassroots and it was a hundred different people running it um but again i don't think you can recreate that kind of event and hope to have it come out the same way and as we've seen we have a series of ministers in government who are laying down deliberately a series of narratives a series of lies to set people up so they can destroy them. And that was one thing we were worried about in the convoy is they continuously provoked violence. And my opinion, I put this in the book and I'll tell you here, I think Jagmeet Singh and Prime Minister Trudeau and a bunch of others were trying to create a political space where violence was acceptable. The attack on Shepherds of Good Hope, which they tried to blame on the convoy, wasn't the convoy. That was your sort of local, shall we politely call them anarchists. But they were trying to create a political space where violence was acceptable, therefore the government would come in and crush it. And I think they were massively disappointed by the convoy that as provoked as it was, it never bit back. I think they were really upset with James Topp and his arrival in Ottawa, that there was no violence there except for four idiots who had nothing to do with the march. They were provocateurs, trying to provoke the police. And it was Veterans for Freedom that formed a line that blocked that violence and stopped it from spreading. Uh, So again, convoy 2.0 and I love it. I know what you're talking about. I know folks want to do it, but uh, I'm with Jake on that one. Bad idea. Let's find some other paths. Enjoy it. It was great. It got the ball rolling, but. mm, Let's try something
0: else. Yeah. Saxon, what do you think? Uh, Maybe maybe we can start getting some comments on, uh, and that you guys can talk about any other aspect you want, but. People are thinking now, well, if we're, what's the next step here? Uh, how do you see the next step for Canada? I know it's the hardest question to answer, but what do you think, Saxon?
2: Well, uh, to kind of put it into like a, a setting that's more of like we're at battle right now and understanding that we're currently under attack by our own government and uh, corporations. There's a whole thing going on right now where we're basically being colonized. Uh, and it's through an ideology that's pervasive and uh uh supplants the uh national identity that we have the culture backgrounds that we have that are various in regional throughout Canada but we've managed to be united but they're also now using those uh differences against all of us uh as well so the things that we can do in general are to really get a hold of our kids if you have children and start to instill a lot of the ideas uh that you grew up with teach them about Canadian history, teach them about the things they can learn from. So when it happens in the future, they can, they can see it, which I think is what brings a lot of people like us here. We're probably all pretty into history. And when you're into history, you're able to more recognize the things that are occurring for you to be able to kind of deconflict or discern from things and know what's going on. Uh, So I think Largely, uh, as we used to say, which is cliche, the future is uh, the generations that come after us. That's still very much the truth. And uh, they're targeting those generations extremely hard right now. So any effort that we can do, let's do something that's actually going to have an effect. Going out there and yelling with streets and signs did have an effect. It brought us all together. We know we're not alone, but let's take that forward now and be like, okay, let's go on school boards. Let's do this and that. That's the actions that people need to start taking. Uh, start at the ground. Start fighting back. We, we know that we have the numbers. Let's use these numbers to affect something instead of just waiting for the next big rigmarole to, to get together. Let's actually be honest with what we need to do we're at battle right now uh there's a lull right now and we're giving them all the time right now to continue to take ground or hold the ground they have we need to constantly go on the offensive so get in the school boards get on your town councils form factions and groups of people who think like you to actively go out and vote and do these things we have power in numbers but sitting around on the internet typing about how you want to do convoy 2.0 is a nice easy thing to do and it makes you feel like you're being active We are not like them. We are better than them. And we need to rise above these things, be active and be creative with how we do things most of all. And uh, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to actually fight back. Uh, We know that we exist. There's numbers. Let's fight back now. And that's how you do it. Not violence, but you take the trenches that the Marxists like to take. So uh, there's a guy named Antonio Gramsci, and he's an Italian Marxist. And he said that the way that they would take their ideology and force it on us so they could ultimately control us would be through taking the trenches of society, which were our bureaucracies, which were our institutions, and infiltrating them with those ideologies and spreading their ideologies from those institutions. That's what they're doing right now. So we need to get into those trenches and bayonet them. And get them the fuck out. That's my opinion.
0: (laughs) Boom. Couldn't agree more. Jake, what's your thoughts?
3: Yeah, well, again, agree with Saxon there. I think you need to learn how to garden. I think you need to get out of the city. I think you need to take your kids out of public school. Sorry, sorry, government school. They're not public schools, they're government schools. And I think you need to worry about your physical fitness, right? In, In all seriousness. Right, like how 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 can you claim to be free if you can't look after your own basic needs?
0: Exactly.
3: Really, really, like if you if you literally have to depend on somebody else for literally everything. I'm talking about the heat that warms your body, to the to the food that fuels it, to the water that sustains you. you. And you're telling me that you're free? I don't think so, man. I really don't. So,
0: and I know, like
3: especially now, like trying to get out of any sort of home and innocent some land. Right now, is probably just ridiculous. Like, I, I truly appreciate how uh, lucky I am to live on a, on a, like, you know, family land that's been farmed for, you know, generations, right, for sure. But, like, the, the odds are going to get you nowhere, for sure, for sure. So if I can say anything, you know, find a group of friends that things like you, buy a plot of land, grow your food, raise your kids.
0: Yeah, we got to take that power back in the way that we, they did it, basically take a chapter out of that book. And and I love how you're saying, uh, Saxon, about starting on the ground level. This is the vision that I've been having lately is that these guys, there's this because we know that this isn't just about Canada, is it? This is happening all over the Western world, all over the world. Uh, there seems to be a long term plan that is rolling out to Take out individual sovereign nations, and in order to do that, you also have to take out the concept of an individual that has uh, inalienable rights, because that's something that's very unique to Western civilization. They need to destroy that, and so, and then even when it comes to your health, you don't, you're not smart enough to know what's good for your health. You, you know, those all those old uh, herbs, and you know, having vitamin C, and you know, just how we deal with colds in the path in the past, we don't want to do that. You have to go to pharma for the solution and we're going to force you to do it. So like everything they're doing is to take away your freedom. Literally, it's not just your constitution. It's not just the laws. It's the, it's the freedom of your mind. And so free people don't wait around to be told what to do. They just do shit and they do it for themselves and they get together with other like-minded people. Like you said, they rebuild community. And I'll just say to people out there that maybe we can give people some positive things here. There's so much great things happening on the Island here that I can tell you about that shock me because you know, BC is considered, I was even jokingly uh, commenting on premier Smith's video that she put out that fantastic video yesterday uh, from Alberta. And I'm like, can you, uh, we got double champs in the UFC in different weight divisions. Could, could you also be the premier of BC (laughs) just as a joke? And someone was like, maybe you guys should stop voting NDP over there. And I'm like, Do I look like a guy that votes NDP, bro? There's a lot of us here that uh, understand what's going on, especially in the rural communities. And all over the island, they've got these potluck groups. They've got these little roundtable groups. They have uh, groups of people that are aligning all over the island to go into local uh, mayor's offices and try to get people in council. It's happening across the board. There's great people doing work. And this is happening all over the country. And I think Alberta as I'm th- talking about, it could be also a shining example of how a solution can start grassroots and work its way up to even the provincial level. Um, so Tom, what do you think about what's going on in Alberta? And what do you think about that grassroots solution that we can give people uh, as to where we should go next?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we're doing this here in Ottawa as well. I see it happening. I'm, I'm a part of one of the groups that people just getting together at the community level, uh, going to somebody's farm, somebody's park, somebody's backyard or whatever, forming those communities, sharing ideas, sharing interests. Uh, and, you know, they're starting to talk about let's teach people some really weird skills like How to garden how to can vegetables how to do this sort of stuff in other words develop a certain amount of independence a certain amount of ability to take care of yourself and to just start moving further away from government rather than close to it becoming more independent rather than less independent um one of the things i think we need to start talking about more and uh from from my background which is you know a whole other thing The the greatest single threat we're looking at in the future is coming out of the Bank of Canada right now. It's coming out of the U.S. Federal Reserve. And this is a central bank digital currency. In other words, the banks, the central banks in particular, want to dump currency. So no more $20 bill, no more $2 coin, nothing. Uh, They want all your currency to be on one of these things. And it will be a central bank controlled currency digital currency. So they'll talk about the Canadian dollar and something will cost, you know, $10.50. And you, you know, you beep beep and you pay for it and $10.50 disappears out of your account. Here's the problem, myself and a bunch of other people had their accounts and payment system closed off. Now, as a former central bank employee, and I'll just admit to that, uh, unfortunately, that I was the security and operational risk manager for the central bank for uh, for a few years. Turning off my accounts doesn't really bother me all that much because I have alternative means of payment. I keep cash so where it's available so I can recover it if I need it and that sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm guessing most Canadians don't. A lot of people were badly hurt by that. But a central bank digital currency, a cryptocurrency controlled by the government, gives the government the ability to turn you off. Um, if they decide they don't like you or what you're doing or if you're discovered to own a you know semi-automatic 22 or something like that, they can literally turn your financial life off. You, you won't have cash, so you won't be able to buy, you won't be able to sell, you won't be able to pay your rent, you won't be able to pay for your phone, you won't be able to buy food, nothing. They can turn you off completely. To destroy your financial independence is to destroy your entire life. And I think that's the reason the the government of canada and by that i mean christy freeland the uh finance minister who incidentally is on the board of advisors with world economic forum that's why they went so hard on destroying people's money closing their accounts she actually wanted to seize the money not just close the account but actually seize the money and you would have to go into the government and apply to get your money back from them that's where they were at now fortunately that didn't happen but that's what christy freeland was trying to do When the government controls your financial life, they control you 100% totally. They can destroy you at any particular time. So anybody in the future that says the wrong thing, uh, that upsets the government, you don't pay your parking ticket, they turn your life off. So my advice to people right now at the community level is use cash more frequently. Take money out of the bank, take cash out of the bank, use it to go to the grocery store to pay for your haircut or whatever. Uh, The more cash that's in use, the the better it is to try and keep the cash system going. Also, contact your member of parliament, contact your MLA, whatever, and tell them Central Bank digital currency suck, we don't want this. A central bank digital currency is a social control mechanism. If you upset the government, they turn your life off. And oh yeah, by the way, every dollar you spend will be traceable. So if I go to Jake and I give him 10 bucks because he helped me fix my bike and Jake gives 10 bucks to, 10 bucks to Saxon because you know Saxon bought beer last night, And then Saxon gives you $10 for, you know, buying a new microphone or something. They know where that $10 went. They can track it and turn everybody off. Uh, So each penny, each dollar, each, you know, sort of 50 cents will be traceable, trackable. So they'll know who you deal with, who you talk to, where that money went. And they'll be able to tax it. And if they don't like the group, destroy the entire group at once. So, yeah, that to me, I think if there's a ditch to die in. Uh, that's it. Is that's the final frontier. Once there is a central bank digital currency, it's over. Freedom's gone. Independence is gone. You're completely dependent on the state. And just in case anybody thinks I'm sort of making this all up, or you know, I, I'm, I'm putting it over the top, the Bank of Canada right now has a section of somewhere between 15 and 50 people. It looks like it's actually 50 people working on the central bank digital currency. Our neighbors to the south, the U.S. Fed, the U.S. Federal Reserve, their central bank, is running a test program right now to check all this stuff out with a bunch of industries to see if they can get it work working. Who's one of the participants? TD Bank, Toronto Dominion Bank in the United States. Obviously, their American arm, but they are participants in this thing. So the big banks are into it. The central banks are into it. And that one is an absolute showstopper. Once again, sorry, end of rant.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Tom. That is incredibly important. Everybody's trying to think about ways around it. I can only echo the same thing. Get local. Uh, Remember, what is wealth? Where does wealth come from? Does it come from the money? Does it come from the digital currency? Or does it come from the people? Jake, you got something to say here? Go ahead.
3: Your, Your wealth is the amount of time you can work for, like be at your own, like not have to work for somebody else as far as I'm concerned. That's your wealth.
0: Right. You're product, you're producing, you're producing the value, you're producing the labor, you're producing the production. Think about the farmers. Uh, think like, look, this was going on in the Netherlands. They're worried that they're creating that centralized system and they're now taxing them on their nitrogen and all of this, which is going to completely destroy independent farming. And that's what that was about. Um, you know, we got Brazil up in arms about their election. I'm that's going to be interesting. So what I want to no, talk no, people... no,
3: no. They're excited about the world cup. The CBC said they were excited, <laughs> excited about the world cup. Okay. They're
0: no, excited they definitely
3: don't have the army headquarters surrounded. Okay. That's not what you spread misinformation.
0: Exactly. Oh my God. But this is all good things. And you know, maybe we can leave people with, I don't want to, leave people with hopium, but I want to leave people with hope because I think without hope, your country's done, your life is done. You have nothing to lean for. We, even though we are in the thick of the fight and here we are with warriors that know what that's all about. I wasn't in the military, but I've studied the warrior tradition and martial arts my whole life. So I come from that same sort of spirit, I think, um, you know, where you have to fight back against it, but we need to have hope going into this battle. We can't go into battle thinking we're going to be defeated. Otherwise, you're already you've already lost, even if you will lose. You go in with the mindset, I don't know how I'm going to win, but I know I'm not going to lose. Like that's kind of where I'm at. So um, maybe Saxon, uh, and we'll just go around the room. Do you have anything that could inspire people? Um, do you have any sort of parting words that could give people some hope in this very dire situation we find ourselves in Canada? Yeah, definitely. So uh, in the military, you come a lot of, uh, across a lot of different people.
2: Uh, some of them are short, some of them are old, some of them don't look very physically like fit, and things like that. But you'll be surprised when the when the pressure comes, like you deploy this person somewhere, how checked out and how uh able they are to adapt and overcome to the situations that are presented to them. Doesn't matter if you think that you look a certain way or you act a certain way, you're into the right things or you're as knowledgeable in certain things. You can learn anything you need to learn, and you can be proficient at it. And uh, so uh for instance just myself like i came into the military and uh, i had to learn how to use explosives i had to learn how to do all this different stuff i had no idea how to use before but you apply yourself you learn how to do it and then you know how to do something uh, at the same time there's people who were coming in and we actually have to run courses on chainsaw but there was people
0: oh actually that just froze up oh there he is okay uh um I don't know okay, where guys you're, you're lost me. I think I've, okay, yeah.
2: So um, people can learn learn how to do what well. doesn't matter how scary or how foreign it seems to you. And that's what everybody needs to We've been sucked away from being able to use these things and uh, to buy into a convenient life. And life is not convenient. And uh, we need to understand that, uh, attack that aspect uh, and be able to adapt to all changes that are coming by filling our heads with knowledge and using our hands to do things again. And that's all thats all we can really do is start to rely on ourselves and the people around us. And uh, I guess that's what I w- would like to say to people is that you are able to do more than you think. And uh, the time to start acting is now. So uh, start to motivate yourself by learning new skills uh, and things like that. There's all kinds of different things you can do. Uh, YouTube. Just YouTube itself has tons of things you can learn. So start learning those things. Just go do something, learn it, and you'll be better for it.
0: I love it. And also that feeling of being productive um, is really, really good for mental health. If you feel like you're stuck in the mud and there's nothing you can do and it's all hopeless and, oh my God, we're all going to, then it's over. All right, you've already lost. But if you can at least, maybe you can't fix all the big problems that you want to fix, but you can at least start with trying to be productive and seeing progress in developing a skill. It's so powerful just for your mind, just for developing you as a strong person. And we need strong people if we're going to have a free country. So I love that advice. Jake, what do you think, brother?
3: Uh, I think people should look to James Todd, to be honest, and not, not you know, what he personally did, but the example he set for what you, anybody can do, right? You know, but to, but, uh, not to belabor Saxon's point, but like, That was his whole message in my, in my opinion, you know, I spent a pretty significant amount of time with him. I literally walked in the man's footsteps half the day, every day. And that was about you taking some personal responsibility and affecting change where you can affect change. Like James got that literally historic meeting at the house of commons because people wrote letters, right? We had a lady at, uh, our meet and greet outside of Montreal that used to work for the CBC that told us that one call to the CBC about, you know, complaining or or saying they like something they equate to take as a thousand people think like that. Right. Call every day, write a letter every day, you know, like, and again, I, I have to go back to this man. Like I'm a man that works with my hands every day. And I know the calm that it, it brings me for sure. And that feeling of, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, capability, right? Right. Like you feel capable, right. Yeah. Which breeds strength, you know? So I guess first, look to your personal responsibilities would be my last little ticket.
0: I love it. That's beautiful. And thanks for bringing up James multiple times. James, if you're listening to this brother, we love you. We support you. I've had James on the show numerous times. That was absolutely epic. What a legend. You've set an example. Um, and I agree. Follow that example. One man. Truth against the world. One against the many. What an amazing example. Those are the ones that won freedom. Hey, Tom, in history, you're a student of history. It's always been the small, the few, the individuals. It was never the masses uh, up against insurmountable odds. Uh, even the freedom that we won here in the West was won against all conceivable odds uh, at the time. And yet here we stand. So if we did it, then we can do it again. Right. Yeah,
1: one interesting thing, just to follow on Jake there, he referred to the meeting that James Top got in Ottawa, and that was actually huge. It should be remembered that the convoy spent three weeks here. It was literally the focus of the world, but the convoy couldn't get a friggin' meeting with anybody at the federal level, nobody, nothing. James Top, on the other hand, was able to sort of take some of that momentum from the convoy build it across the country. His team organized a letter writing campaign, an email campaign and everything. And they managed to wind up meeting, I forget what the actual number was, 20 MPs or 22 MPs or whatever it was, 22. Yeah, okay, thanks, Jake. Uh, And it kind of, so that went from zero to 22. So I don't think that those MPs were, you know, full of patriotism and love for country and all this sort of stuff. Maybe they are, I don't know. My sense very much is they were doing this Kind of holding a finger up and saying wow we think the winds are changing in this country so i've got i've got a real mixed view on the future and you know sorry about this but on the one hand i'm quite pessimistic in the sense we're moving into a recession we've got a government headed by you know world economic Forum people like christy freeland who is going to drive us down a path we don't like but on the other hand the winds are changing positive things are happening the convoy lit people up james top i think inspired a huge part of the country to show that one or two people can make some real differences and i think this idea of waking people up forming community forming community groups and starting to pressure government from the bottom up is actually working so hard times are coming economically the recession is going to be bad there's lots of talk you know in financial circles about depression about sovereign debt crisis and all that kind of stuff but there is at least hopefully maybe a light at the end of the tunnel and this time it's not going to be a train coming i don't think so uh yeah do have some hope do prepare yourself for a fight do prepare for a struggle tough times are coming but i i do believe there is a positive future out there uh i think it's coming and i think more people are waking up to the idea that Globalism, cultural Marxism, whatever label you want to stick on this stuff. It's a fancy term for Marxism It's a fancy term for centralized totalitarian governments And I think people are getting smart enough to realize that we don't want central control. We don't want totalitarianism, we want independence and freedom and like I said, it only takes a few people. The uh, the U.S. Civil War, or sorry, not Civil War, the U.S. Revolutionary War was started in pubs and coffee houses by people sitting around going, I'm tired of this crap, let's go do something. So I'm a little pessimistic in the short term, but long-term, optimistic, and I think 2022 was the breaking year. 2021, there wasn't a hell of a lot to be positive about. 22, bad year, a lot of strange stuff going on. But you know what? Convoy was good. James Top was good. Rolling Thunder was good. Operation Dignity was good. Uh, it showed the country there is a future, there is a hope, and that's good.
0: I love it. I love it so good. Um, and also, just a note to all that might be listening: if you work in the government, if you work in any of these positions, if you work in healthcare, doctors, physicians, uh, people, if you feel it in your gut that something is wrong, and you might not know the whole thing, but you know something is wrong, and you have information to share. This is the time you're needed. Uh, And look, we have these fine gentlemen standing right here who are standing up for what's right at the risk to themselves. And they're not alone. And Canada don't feel like you're alone either, even though it looks dire here. This is a fight that is being taken to these globalists all over the world. And there's tremendous things happening when you zoom out and you get the big picture and you can say, wow, wow. We could have been in a really, really, really bad situation, much worse than we are, had there not been any of this resistance that we do see on all of these different fronts. The media has egg on their face all over the world. They're being shown to have been lying this entire time on so many different issues. That means people are moving towards independent media. People are getting off the censorship platforms and moving to censorship-free platforms because they want to have discussion. My job as independent media, I feel, and everybody else should feel this as well, is to keep the conversation going, because if there's no more conversation, even with the other side, uh, then it leads to physical violence, and that's not going to work out well for anybody. So keep the conversations going in your families and friends circles, even if it's hard. You know, we got Christmas coming up again. Um, you know, keep, keep that spirit alive, and don't ever stop speaking the truth, even if your voice shakes. It's making a difference. It is making a difference. I'm in a unique position where I get emails from people all over the place and I meet with different groups and uh, just, there are some really, really fantastic things that are happening, even though it is scary as fuck right now. I get it, but keep your cool, learn from these great guys, look at these examples and start becoming active in a positive, legal, peaceful way, of course, but get active, join this fight for freedom. And I think we can save our country in the long term as well. So I just want to say, gentlemen, It's been an absolute honor to sit here and have this discussion with you. You guys are welcome anytime. Uh, Anybody involved with the inquiry, anybody that needs to get some information out, get a hold. I'm going to use this platform to help blast this out. Uh, But much respect and love to all of you guys. Keep doing this great work. And thank you so much for joining me for this awesome chat today, gents.
2: Thank you, man. And uh, appreciate all the work you do as well. Like this is an information war and you're definitely in the battle yourself.
0: So. Thank you. Oh, my honor, my honor. Jake, you had something there?
3: Yeah, I just, I just want to make a little plug if I can. Uh, sure. bunch of us from Tops Crew, the Merchants Crew, have started a new venture called Veterans on Wheels. Uh, so our, main, our goal is to go around and provide some skilled labor to that need a hand around their house. Uh, you know, whether it's put in a garden, put up a livestock fence, fix the deck. Um, and on the other side of the thing, help you out with your tax benefits for your vac, get you set up with a vac account, um, you know, haircuts, just like kind of all around emotional, um, emotional support, physical, mental support. Because um, if I've seen one thing this year, it's we got too many veterans out there that they need a hand. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram right now. Veterans
1: on Wheels
0: amazing amazing tom um where can people find your book you do a podcast if i'm not mistaken what you're doing lately? uh
1: not doing the podcast right now uh v4f does have a podcast look that one up you can find it on a bunch of different channels jeff evely uh v4f um The book is Eyewitness to Deceit, uh, written by myself and Rick Gill. Uh, The subtitle of the thing is Prime Minister Trudeau's Infowar on Freedom Convoy 2022. Uh, It's self-published on Amazon because publishers of course won't touch this kind of subject right now. Uh, But God bless Amazon. And I got complaints about that company, but they publish stuff and they don't ask questions. So that much is good. Amazon is actually a free speech company hard as that is to believe. But yeah, Eyewitness to Deceit, uh, written by myself, Tom Quiggin, and Rick Gill, and it's on Amazon.
0: Amazing. I'm going to check it out myself. Saxon, any final plugs there?
2: I forgot to plug myself. Uh, I just started <laughs> kind of podcasting, and um, uh, and uh, so you can follow me on Telegram. That's only the social media I really use right now. All Other social media is just like I can't stand it. So uh, I'm on Telegram. You can follow me at North of Nothing, uh, t.me slash North of Nothing, capital letters for all the starts of the words, if that helps. And uh, you can follow me on there. I'm usually ranting about something or uh, misspelling words. So it's a good time
0: good for you man going to the podcast world if you need any help you let me know i've made every mistake you can make and i probably got more but i can help in any way possible all right guys we're gonna wrap it let's get back to it i'm gonna go find out what's going on with this inquiry see what lies they're spinning um but let's do this again sometime and uh i just want to thank you again and thanks to everybody for tuning in if you found value which you should please share this out far and wide download it make clips of it Make these things go viral. Let's get the truth out there because truth is going to win in the end. Watch Watch it happen, all right? Thanks, everybody. Love you lots. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody.